Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Buenos dias, and welcome back to another episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast. No, we did not convert to a Spanish podcast. I just felt like doing something different. So I hope you're having a fantastic day. And as always, it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And I am on my own journey to seven figures right now, sharing what is working along the way with you so that you can go ahead and implement and get incredible results in your life. Today's guest is Bob Regnerus. Bob Bob Regnerus is the co-founder of Feed Stories, a digital marketing expert and author of five books, including the fourth edition of The Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising. Since 1998, Bob has worked with clients in over 72 markets to help them achieve their goals through digital media and storytelling, and he is known for the crazy results he gets for his clients. Clients see 300% ROI on his fees, aka for every $100 they spend with him, they make $300 back, and people typically see about 15% growth in sales versus the same period the year before. Specifically, he has case studies of working with a check printing company and getting them a 7.47 ROAS, or return on ad spend, and he has another crazy case story of helping a startup grow from a kitchen table to over seven figures in sales, and now they are an eight-figure company. Bob is a sought-after expert in the area of Facebook advertising and deep funnel marketing strategies. And most importantly, Bob is a husband to his high school sweetheart and a dad to two amazing daughters and is a high school basketball coach. There are three things I want you to listen for in this episode. One, how Bob became really good friends with some of the biggest names in the online world and why getting mentorship from incredibly successful people is easier than you may think. Two, how to turn a product that's a commodity into a movement and beat out your competitors through the power of story. And three, the incredible insight that Bob learned from talking to one of the head engineers at Facebook that you can use to crush your Facebook ads and how to use what he calls deep funnel marketing to pinpoint your ideal audience and gain a huge ROI on your ad spend. Before we get started, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out to Rooster4296, who said, powerful and engaging. Brandon's guests are impressive, and you can tell that Brandon does a ton of research to ask engaging questions. Make sure to subscribe. So thank you so much, Rooster4296, for leaving that review. And if you are listening to this and you haven't left a review, please take the time to do so. Not only do I read every single review, but it also helps more people to discover the show. And I might give you a pre-show listener shout out in a future episode. One last thing, I do want to say that I recorded this episode with Bob on December 1st, 2020 for some context in case there are some COVID references that don't make sense anymore because things are changing so crazy fast. So with all that said, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Bob Regnerus. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, 
B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Awesome. Well, Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be on, Brandon. Good to, good to be talking with you today. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. So in my research, reading your bio, I thought we'd start out because I read you said that you've been working with clients in over 105 countries since, or 105 markets, sorry, since 1998. And I'd kind of love to just start by hearing the story about how you got started on your journey, journey and maybe if you could tell us about what it was like working with that very first client in 1998. <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty cool. So um, I guess the first thing you need to know about me is I, I'm a I'm a basketball coach. Okay. And uh, I'm a programmer by trade. So I, I graduated college back in 1992. <laughs> um, I'm not that old, but I'm not that young either. But uh, I, I had a programming and stats degree. And so my first gig out of college was for a corporate company called Amico. They're purchased by BP. But my job was working on the uh, uh, mainframe interface for the motor club that they ran. And so I, I, I'm a natural programmer, just really good at it. Um, I, I jumped around to a human resources firm three years after I graduated and while I was there, I met a guy who was basically doing the same job as me, but making twice the money. And he was there on a contract. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I, I, I learned about that and actually left my job and went to work for him on a contract at TransUnion, which, of course, we're all familiar with, one of the big credit bureaus. While I was at TransUnion, working hourly, making more money, the internet and websites and e-commerce and people like uh, sites like Amazon started getting real popular. And I took my programming skills and I went to, a, I, I did a job for my first client. It's called Payless Sports, which is where I bought basketball equipment and uniforms from, right? So that's how <laughs> it works, right? Um, the first rule is, of an entrepreneur is like networking and relationships. So right. um, I went to them and said, hey, I got an idea. Um, I'm trying to get good at programming websites. And this was an e-commerce site. And I said, you guys aren't online. How would you like like a really great deal? <laughs> and so I, I built an e-commerce website for probably 5% of what they would pay on the market. Sure. Um, and got the thing humming, got it up. It was just amazing that, we, we, that I put that all together. And they, they, they had an online presence. And the, the next question they asked me was, great, like, how do we get traffic to this site? I said, oh, I know how to do that. And <laughs> of course, I had no idea how to do that. Uh, but a good entrepreneur always says yes, right? Right. So I said, yeah, I know how to do that. And I, I started learning how to do that. So that's how I got started in marketing was that I built my first website. And then I, I, I got into how to do SEO. I got into paid traffic. So I've been using paid traffic, Brandon, since it was GoTo, Overture, Yahoo, Google AdWords, and then into Facebook. Um, so I've 
I've been there for kind of the evolution of, of the paid traffic model. And I'll tell you, by the way, um, Payless Wars is still a client of mine. Here we are. Really? In, yeah. Here we are going into 2021. My first client is still a client of mine. So I'm really proud to say that. That's incredible. There must, you, must be do, you must do a good job or something like that. <laughs> yeah. They, or they really, really, really like me. <laughs> that too. That's awesome. Well, one thing I want to highlight just from what you said is because I feel like, you know, we have entrepreneurs from all ranging skill sets that are listening to this right now. And one of the things I feel like is even hard to understand, even as an experienced entrepreneur, is you feel like you want to have everything ready before you launch something. And I love that story about you just just going for it and just saying like, hey, this is a very valuable thing for me to learn <laughs> working with this company that I'm somewhat familiar with. And you were able to just launch and get started with that. And now it's led you down the path to where you're at today. Yeah, you know, some entrepreneurs, they, they become an entrepreneur because they like want to create this product and launch it to the marketplace. And like, that's amazing. Uh, it's not the path that I took. And I think most people's path to becoming an entrepreneur is they, they, they have the ability to just kind of look into the future and say, you know what, like, this is going to be a thing. Uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs I meet have this innate sense of knowing what's next. And they also have this this ability to solve problems, or maybe it's this, I don't know if it's a compulsion or a desire to solve problems, but I mean, entrepreneurs, in my opinion, are, are wired to solve problems. I, you know, mm. I don't believe government solves problems for us. They, they create it or manage it. It's entrepreneurs that solve problems. Um, you know, as we're recording this, like, you know, vaccines are being produced. It wasn't produced by a government agency. It was produced by entrepreneurial companies, right? That said, there's a problem. We're going to solve it. Multiple. Um, that's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs are what make the world go round. They're the ones that take risks. They solve problems. They create jobs. They move the economy. So um, I believe in it. Uh, I didn't realize I was really an entrepreneur till I, I, I got into college and just realized like I, I, I went to college. I, I did okay. Uh, I wasn't particularly motivated to get great grades because I was just like, well, I'm going to do good enough because I really want to get a job in this field. And I, and I just kind of saw myself progressing forward. And I, and I started seeing myself already in college being unemployable. From the sure. stance of like, hey, two weeks vacation and benefits, like that just didn't, it didn't resonate with me. My, my parents did that. You know, a lot, a lot of our gener older generation did that. I, I didn't see myself being in that pattern. I'm a risk taker. I, I enjoy kind of calling my own shots, you know, being a basketball coach. I'm used to being in control. Um, it's, it's just kind of the way I'm wired. So I, I find the entrepreneurial journey, it, it's not for everybody. Uh, obviously, the people listening to this podcast are investigating it or are a part of it already. And I, I guarantee you, if, if we all got together and, and chat, we all have that thing in common. We love taking risks. We love solving problems. And then we love the game of being rewarded for the risks that we took. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny because when I look at my path as an entrepreneur, I personally found that like there were hints of what I was going to be doing when I was really young. Did you find that that to be the case for you as well? That like there were elements of you solving problems or skill sets that you were developing back in the early ages that that led to you doing all these incredible work that you're doing with Facebook today? Yeah, it's it's a little bit different. Um, I, I know I know I have lots of friends who like in their, like they were eight or nine or 10, like were already entrepreneurs. I, I didn't see myself like that then. Uh, my dad, you know, had his MBA. He worked for the same company for 35 years. I, I thought that that was the path. Um, 
the other thing about me was just I, I was I was undersized as a child. Um, I wasn't really like I wasn't front and center, so I had to kind of fight for what was mine type of thing. Uh, but I'm an oldest, I'm the oldest child in my family. I, I always took on responsibility. I could always be counted on. And I, I really got my footing in high school. And I really started to realize like the leadership capabilities I had, um, just, just my ability to be mentally strong and, and overcome and fight for what I believe is mine. Um, that's what I discovered in high school. And it was really then in college that I said, you know what, I, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get on the corporate bandwagon for a while, but I'm not going to stay there. Sure. Um, and, and you know what, Brandon, I, I didn't, I, I, I love telling this story. When, when I started working for Amico, I, I got there, I, you know, I, I started in May of 1992. Um, one week after I got there, they announced layoffs. So um, within two weeks of me starting, people that I just met two weeks ago, I saw carrying a box of their belongings sure. out the door, never to be seen again. And I went, ah, oh, okay, that's how it works. Um, so I, you know, I wasn't in any danger, of course, because I was low man on the totem pole. But I, that was that was really, I, I remember that, and I, I mean, I I can visualize it to this day. You know, it's just 22 years ago, uh, more. It was way more than that. I'm like. I, I, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that like yeah. gets to the point where they're making too much money and the corporation's like, Oh, you're not needed anymore. I, right. I wanted, I wanted to be in control of my destiny for sure. It's funny because in our world today, when you say, Oh, get a stable job. Right. And people say jobs are associated with a you know, steady income and stuff like that. But it's funny. I don't know if it's just my skewed perception of reality, but like, I personally think even though the entrepreneurship is viewed as the more risky thing, it's like, you're betting on yourself. And, yeah. you know, I think that's more secure than just like you said, like a, a company just deciding, Hey, you're making too much here and we can find something that's younger and better than you. So let's just replace you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what? There, there's so many examples in 2020, if it's taught us anything, is that there's no such thing as stable and secure, right? right? I mean, obviously, there's industries that are thriving during COVID, but many more decimated. And even some of the industries that were thought to be impenetrable in terms of like, oh, well, the economy is not going to affect that job. Well, guess what? It, it has, you know, something like higher education. Well, if you just get into higher education, like you're golden. Well, no, they're laying off people in higher education now as well. So, you know, I, it's, I, I agree with you, Brandon. It's like, Hey, um, I'm going to bet on myself. And if I fail, it's on me mm-hmm. versus I'm going to put my, I'm going to put my life in the hands of this corporate giant who could really care less whether I eat or don't eat today. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you're only as useful as long as you're useful and then you're expendable. Um, I, I just, that wasn't, that wasn't a life for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, so you get your first client in 1998, you kind of like say, Hey, I can figure out traffic now. And you start experimenting with this kind of stuff. So what were those next few years? Like, you know, after that first client, you're like, okay, I can do more of this. Just walk us through what happened after that. Yeah. I mean, what I realized was I had a skill set. you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a programmer, I'm a coder. So I I started, you know, uh, going out and using my network to get more clients. Uh, I built more websites, uh, 
I picked up a couple clients that ended up being long-term solutions, like five, six years worth of, of work where they just needed a constant developer. Uh, they needed help with simple marketing and uh, email marketing and things like that. So, you know, I became really useful. I, you know, um, maybe if there wasn't any programming work for the month for that client, I figured out another way to provide value. So I, I managed to keep getting paid by a handful of clients over the years to get my skills together, to get my uh, chops, so to speak, and to keep paying the bills. Um, you know, I, I had two kids during that time and it was really just a matter of like, I'm, I'm going to earn my stripes. I'm going to be really skilled. I started, you know, investing more in myself, um, investing in training, going to seminars, investing in coaching. Um, the more, the more I realized, uh, the more I, the more I developed skills, the more I realized that there's a lot of things that I didn't know. Sure. So I started investing more in myself and my education. And, you know, I, I always recommend to young entrepreneurs, like, uh, invest in coaching, invest in education, get yourself out there. Some of the most valuable things I've ever did, uh, had done was attend marketing seminars and meet people. Um, I met Perry Marshall in March of 2003. Um, Perry has since become one of my very best friends. He's a mentor. He's a client. Um, he's a business partner. You know, we co-wrote the ultimate guide to Facebook advertising together. Uh, another guy that I met at the same event, Victor Chang is uh, just an amazing CEO coach. I-, I met a ton of people before they were quote unquote names. Uh, sure. I met Ryan Dice there. Um, Ryan and I joined a mastermind group together, you know, so I knew Ryan when he was a pup. Um, <laughs> so I, everything that's really been good in terms of my career has really been in, in me investing in my education and in my relationships with others. Um, and that's how you and I met. We're, we're yeah. part of the same mastermind group. You know, we're talking because we, we're basically seeking out community and seeking out people that are like-minded and, not just like-minded, but challenges to be better. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, that's, that's what I found to be probably one of the best things I've ever done in my career is make a commitment to that. That's incredible. And it was funny because what was one of the things I wanted to ask you is because, I mean, I was watching some of the interviews you've done when you launched your book. I mean, some of the biggest names out there right now, Jeff Walker, Ryan Dice, you already mentioned Perry Marshall, Brian Kurtz, Frank Kern. Those are all people that, you know, we study from in the marketing world. Yeah. So did you say you kind of met most of them as they were up and coming basically or did you kind of meet them as they are today? (laughs) No, I I met them before they were a big deal. Um, and I, I like meeting people before they're a big deal. Uh, uh, they're easier to get a hold of these days. Um, when they're busy, at least they'll take your call. Um, right. Frank, Frank was an interesting one. Uh, I really learning how to make money myself online. Frank Kern was the first person actually, kind of taught me a process where I was able to generate a product, a, a digital product and make money from it. So I learned, I learned the art of creating uh, information products from Frank and, and, you know, advertising on Google to generate a prof, a customer at a profit. I learned that uh, from Frank. Um, I developed, I used my coding skills. I developed a, a software package to manage affiliate programs uh, I, I, I sold that. I had a SaaS company before I knew what SaaS was. Um, you know, I did a lot of things just kind of like following my skill set that landed me in some really good positions. Um, so, See, you know, I, yeah, I, I love that because 
it's funny because we look at the, when we quote unquote influencers today and we're like, oh, we got to go reach out to them because they like all the, they have all the knowledge and all this stuff. But I just love the very simple thing that you said that it's just like, you just gen- develop genuine relationships with people everywhere you go. And like, yeah. if you're in the right circles, people are going to become successful and it's just a matter of time. And so I feel like it's so easy to like, look for the biggest person in the room or whoever can puff their chest the most, but like just taking the long-term approach of treating everybody the way <laughs> you, you know, you want to be treated and just developing those relationships for yeah. the long term. And they're, they're great friends today. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that we can't really get together. Like uh, obviously, you know, hopefully in 2021 that we, we can get together again, you know, the vaccine will come out and you know, the world will open up. But I mean, that's what I enjoyed most of my career. And you know, you never know who you're sitting to an event. I mean, I, I've, I've become business partners with people that I've sat to in events where you just kind of hit it off and you realize that you have a complementary skill set. Um, you know, I just kind of reflecting back, I, I met this, this one guy, uh, geez, back in 2005. And uh, we, we worked together on something called Google Arbitrage. I figured out how to buy traffic at a discount and sell it at a profit. Um, I, 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 you know, you just learn certain skills and, you know, it did, has, you know, it, it worked for a short period of time, but, you know, we, we made a ton of money together and it was because we sat together at a conference and we had some skills that overlapped and we figured something out, made a lot of money and, and really catapulted our skills forward. So, and it was just somebody I struck a conversation up at an event. So, you know, it's really easy to kind of sit behind a computer, you listen to podcasts and you read blogs and you do those things. But man, you know, if you take the extra step of get involved in community and be connected to people that, you know, I, you know, I, I guess too, Brandon, you really want to be connected in a group where there's people that are way ahead of you mm-hmm. and are pulling you forward. But you also want to be alongside people that are where you're at. So you have some camaraderie, but then also right. people that you can pull that are, that are maybe not where you're at. So I, I love diverse groups where it's all different skill sets. And if there's enough humility uh, in that group where the people that are far ahead are egocentric, like they're willing to invest in you and pull you forward, then you turn around and look who's behind you and you pull them forward. Yeah. Um, you know, the group that, that you and I are in is a really good example. There's a lot of humble people in there. Some people that you and I look at are like, holy crap, they're amazing. You know, they're making a ton of money and you would never know it because they just don't project that, that yeah. aura of, hey, I'm a big deal. Um, they're very giving, very serving. So one of the things you really want to develop as a young entrepreneur is a good sense. It's, it's a BS meter, a bullshit meter. Like you, you need to be able to read people because you, you end up doing business with a lot of folks that you meet. And, you know, I've gone through some really bad business relationships, which has helped develop my BS meter. So sure. I'm pretty good now at reading people, knowing if they're genuine or not. And that's, that's a skill that's really afforded me well in the last decade or so. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I say all the time that I learned from Genius Network and Joe Polish. So I don't know where he got it from, but this is where I heard it is you can't read the label from outside the jar. And it's just like so mm. powerful to be surrounded yeah. with other people that are, you know, more successful than you at the same level than you, or just anybody that has a fresh perspective. And when you're constantly right. engaging those kinds of conversations, you can't read the label when you're in the jar, but like you right. have somebody that just has a unique perspective and like, you, it's an opportunity to work on your business instead of in your business when you have that opportunity to just meet with like-minded people. So that's incredible. Yep. 
And, yeah. you know, just, just something I would say to a young entrepreneur, I know, I know you're, uh, this is a millennial podcast, right? <laughs> uh, there's a number of millennials that I mentor just uh, because, number one, a couple of them used to be my former players uh, who end up being interested in becoming entrepreneurs and, and doing their own thing. Um, I, I would say this, if, if, if you're a young entrepreneur and you don't have a mentor, like you really want to seek one out. And what I found is uh, a really genuinely good entrepreneur with, with a servant heart will be willing to mentor you because they really want others to be lifted up. Um, some aren't going to have the time of day for you and, you know, just kind of cast them aside. But I've generally found that most successful entrepreneurs will make time to mentor somebody who's really serious about his or 100%. her, like, hey, you know, like I, I'm willing to work. And I've had a number of of young people who've come to me that, you know, I, I've gotten to know and help in business who just generally wanted help and I really wanted to help them. So that, that's another thing I would really encourage a young, young entrepreneur to seek out. Yeah. It's, that's another very valuable point. And it's funny because I remember being in Genius Network and I feel like there's this huge gap between people thinking that there's people to help and the people that actually want to help if there's the right person. Because I remember mm. being in Genius Network and Joe was on the stage and he's like, who here likes mentoring people? And almost every single hand went up yeah. in the room. But then yeah. you have all these, you know, call them millennials, maybe even younger or older that like are too afraid to ask. And it's yes. like, if you learn how to ask the right way. And if you're asking for the right person and you're showing up and you're actually taking action and implementing, right. it's funny because people always ask me like, how can I add value to an entrepreneur of high caliber? And it's funny because in my opinion, what they really are looking for is to make an impact. And like, if you can show that you took what they taught you and implemented yep. it and made it an impact on more people, that's how you add value to them. They're always asking like, yeah. and so there's obviously other ways to do it, but have you found that to be true when you are mentoring people that like, that's one of the number one ways that you get satisfaction is seeing people actually leverage the, the insights that you shared with them? Yeah, I, I genuinely get more excited for other success than my own. Mm. Um, like when, when one of the people that I mentor has a win, like it's better than when I get a win. Yeah. It's kind of, so it's kind of like you celebrate your kids, you know, when, when your kids do something really, really cool. Um, even when it's not really cool, even if it's ordinary, you celebrate it. I, I feel that way about people that I've mentored. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this right now, just think about that. And there's this concept I, I teach called the Ikea effect. And there's, I don't, won't dive into it, but the high level of it is that people value Ikea furniture more because they had to build it. And so like, <laughs> I've, I've always kind of like, Told, told that to people. It's like, how can you become the piece of Ikea furniture? <laughs> how can you get somebody to invest in you and thank them and be genuinely grateful for them? And uh, once you become somebody that somebody's invested in, like it just turns into an incredible relationship. So see, I thought you were going to go this way with Ikea. Ikea is a place if you would go there with somebody you love and you end up leaving still loving each other, then you're in a good relationship. <laughs> Ikea has this way of either breaking you or, or proving you. Yeah. Um, it's man, as, as, as just a fun fact, I studied abroad in Sweden. And if you ask a Swede where to go out to eat, they say Ikea, <laughs> which, which is hilarious, which they have pretty good meatballs, but yeah. It's I, I guess they're known for the meatballs. I, I wouldn't say, yeah, boy, if, if Sweden's recommending that as the takeout, then I'm not sure I want to visit Sweden. <laughs> yeah. That, this other place called Max Burger, which I didn't really think that well, but anyways, okay. uh, another, another thing I wanted to ask you, Bob, is you mentioned, uh, in passing before that you have, you have two amazing kids and they're in college age now. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My daughter, uh, she's a junior at university of Chicago. She's studying genetics 
And uh, my youngest daughter is a freshman at University of Illinois, and she's studying uh, art and psychology. Awesome. Yeah. So the, the, the thing that I wanted to ask you is another thing I saw in your bio is you're married to your high school sweetheart. You have two amazing kids. And so that was what I really wanted to ask as well. It's like getting started in 1998, your, your now wife was looking at you like, you know, what are you doing? You're doing all these crazy things, picking up these gigs and entrepreneurship has its ups and its downs. So yeah. what would you suggest for the entrepreneurs who are listening, who are focused on growing their business while they're in relationships or pursuing a serious relationship? Yeah, well, so marriage like like a partnership you you really need to have an understanding of who your partner is so what one of the things when when you do marry your high school sweetheart is you you've got relationship where they know kind of your true heart and they know where your true heart is pointing so um they you know my wife's been incredibly uh she she's she's very much the opposite of me. She's very security conscious <laughs> and, and she likes having that stable job. And, you know, in, in some cases, her stable job has helped us during real lean times. Um, you know, 2009, uh, the economy tanked. you know, the real estate market crashed. Uh, I had an agency that was doing seven figures prior to that. And I had too much invested in, in information marketing and clients in the real estate niche. And pretty much within 60 days, all of them went under because there's no money left. And therefore, the agency that supported them went under. So I ended up having to lay off everybody that worked at my company, including people who were long-term friends, family members. Um, that sucked. I mean, that, that put me into pretty much a mild depression. Um, I, I was heavily in debt trying to keep the company open and, and I did everything I can. I, I wasn't paying myself. I went deep into credit card debt. Uh, that, that sucked. Um, I was in the hospital for a while and yeah, that was, that was a strain on the marriage for sure. Uh, but my wife stood by me and, you know, as I pieced myself back together and uh, kind of figured things out and, you know, it, it was really quite frankly, it, it took a number of years to get my confidence back. It wasn't really till about 2012 that I really started focusing again. Um, and I wasn't not working for those few years. I, I, I did a lot of cool things. I, uh, I helped people write books. I hosted a radio show. You know, I was, I was in your seat. I, I probably interviewed 2000 people over wow. three years. Um, so I developed the love for media and talking to people and hearing stories. And it was 2012 where Facebook advertising started to become a thing. And I saw ahead, remember I said, good entrepreneurs always kind of looking ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I've got this skill set in paid advertising. Um, I'm good at it, but Facebook is another level because I could take my skill of buying ads and, and, and my love of story. And I, you know, it was just kind of serendipitous that at that time was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get in front of this. Um, very much like I got my first client, I went to my network and said, Hey, you know, if I, I had a, I had a fairly substantial list that was kind of dormant, but it was big enough where I could send an email out. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for three clients who, who want to get started on Facebook. I said, you know, I've, I've, I've learned a few things and I'm up and coming, you know, my skills as a Google advertiser. I think, I think you have a company that if, if you think you have a company that's going to do really well in Facebook, I want to talk to you. Uh, I got three clients one of them turned out to be somebody who had been following me for seven years, uh, JD and Amy Krause. 
uh, they developed a product called Boulder Bed Headbands. And it was Amy's idea to create this headband from her kitchen table of, of all things. She was frustrated that she would work out and the headband that she wore would always fall off her head. So she's like, there's got to be a better way, right? That's, that's a classic entrepreneur right. line, right? There's got to be a better way. So she, she came up with a different material and a different design. She wore it. It worked great. She gave it to her friends. They all loved it. They said, hey, you should sell it. Um, they sold a few things. And um, probably two weeks before I sent the email, they had sold a few things around their gym. And I sent the email and JD's like, hey, I got to talk to Bob. We got on the phone. I said, yeah, I think it's a great product. Um, I remember talking to them about how we're going to make sure they're different because we're going to tell their story. We created a 30-second video that basically told her story. And that turned later, you know, five years later, that turned into an eight-figure company. Wow. Um, and I was there at the beginning. I was, I was literally the second person they hired. They hired a web person. They hired me. Um, serendipitous, you know, entrepreneurs, you, you, luck comes around to those who are prepared. Um, mm -hmm. I would say it was, a, it was lucky that I found them, but, you know, there's a lot of things that work together to make that happen. But it's, you know, um, it's, it, it, it's sometimes about being prepared for that, for that next thing, keeping your eyes open, keeping your confidence level up and uh, amazing things could happen. Yeah. So what was that? What was that 30 second ad? Like, tell us a little bit about like what helped you start yeah. getting off that ground. Cause I know one of your sweet spots is helping somebody to pull a story out of their head and turn that into an incredibly engaging ad. So walk us through yeah. a little bit about how you do that, or maybe share specifically how you did it with that client. Yeah. And actually I, I tell the whole story in the book, um, the ultimate guide to Facebook advertising, which is you know, one of the reasons we're talking, but, mm -hmm. um, I, I actually show, I, I have a link in the book to the channel where the ad is now this company, um, they, they had their run, they sold and the, the company that bought it closed it down. It's not like the happy ending, but the owners sold out and it's a happy ending for them, but I still have the ad. And essentially here's, here's what I told her. Um, this, this will be really instructive. So a headband you understand is a commodity, right? right? Any there's like headbands everywhere. Like it's like a five dollar or ten dollar thing at most. They wanted to sell their headbands at twenty dollars. And here's what I told Amy. I said, Amy, I said we are going to be successful with this because we are going to tell your story. And they can knock off your product, but they cannot knock off your story. Mm. And so here's what we did. You know, the the beginning of the video goes like this: Hi, I'm Amy Kraus. I'm a mom. I'm a CrossFitter. And I wanted to build, I wanted to produce a headband that wouldn't fall off my head or, or, you know, get sweat in my eyes. And I created Boulder Band headbands and we, we created this really low res video of her in her family situation, uh, her working out. And we essentially in 30 seconds called out to people who, um, were, were most like her. Here's what happened. Um, we, we sold a lot of headbands, but what we built was a community. We built a huge following on Facebook and Instagram, and we developed a, a lifestyle brand, okay? So we developed, when, when you have that type of company, you, you bring people in that are just like you. So what we ended up getting was um, um, middle-aged, um, active moms, right, with young kids, married, um, she happened to be a person of faith. So we brought in a lot of people that were similar to her and her beliefs and everything. 
you know, several million people at its peak were, were part of this community. So how, how do you knock that off? Right. right. You know, what they were following is they, they loved the brand because they loved the person and the people behind the brand, which is really, really instructive. So when pe- competitors came along, knocked off our product and tried to sell it. Yeah. The, you know, they made some sales, but they never knocked us off the mountain because we, we had the story and we had the brand and we had the person behind the brand. Um, yeah. And that company actually in 2014 won Shopify Retailer of the Year. They had the highest gross retail sales um, in the women's clothing category that year. And uh, it got a trip for JD and Amy to go see Damon Johns and uh, meet the Shark Tank uh, people. So that was a pretty cool, that was a pretty cool um, thing to put on my resume for that's, sure. That's incredible. And I, I'm going to say this because I've heard this multiple times, so I don't know the exact source of it, but I just love this story where there was this copywriter that took random items and he simply just took this, you know, maybe it was from Goodwill or a, uh, a garage sale and he wrote a story on it. And he's, he, it was like, almost like a game about like how much he could sell it, how much more he could sell that trinket for because of a story that he created around yeah. it. And I just love that, that that's what you were sharing with that, that client, because yes, at the end of the day, sometimes it is just a product like somebody else's, but yeah. if you have a story that backs it, that breathes life into it, that allows people to identify with it, that's really what are going to take things off. Yeah. You know, I, obviously I coach a lot of people these days and the number one thing that's holding a brand back is, is, is the story. Mm. Um, if you have a good product and can, and can attach it to a good story that your market is already telling themselves, like you, you, you can't help but be successful. Um, you could have really bad marketing and still be successful. Uh, what most people do though, is they, they, they don't really have a story and they don't have a reason to exist. Um, and they don't have a real good story to tell the marketplace. So they've got this great product, or at least they perceive to have this great product, but they can't match the story that their marketplace is telling. Mm. And so they're never going to be able to make that emotional connection. Right. Um, I don't care how complex or simple your product is. I don't care how cheap or expensive. Like if, if your customer can't tell themselves a story about your product and connect to it on an emotional level, um, they're, they're not going to buy it. You know, like think about toothpaste. Like, do you buy different brands of toothpaste all the time? No, you, you like, you, you, you kind of figure on a brand and you have an emotional connection to it. And if you ever went to the store, they didn't have it. You'd be like, ah, you know, um, <laughs> it's like the brand of pop you drink or the, your favorite, you know, water flavored water. Like you, you get emotionally attached to these brands and these products. Um, it's because there's a great story behind it. Um, that, that's what it's all about. You know, you, you make that emotional connection, you have that story that you tell. So, you know, I, I, I say this, um, uh, and I tell this story in the book too. I, I, I had the opportunity to go to Facebook headquarters a number of years ago, talk with the head engineer. And it was really interesting what he told me. Um, when I say head engineer, I mean, the guy in charge of the people that are coding the algorithm that, <laughs> decides what Facebook ads you see. Okay. So this is like an unassuming, really powerful person I was talking to. Uh, He said this, he goes, you know what? He said, there's a couple of things that we do um, way better than you. Um, We bid better than you and we, we can find your audience better than you. So what he's, what he's telling the advertisers is like, you guys want to like focus in on bidding and you want to figure out like a better way to target. And that's all part of a good ad is targeting and, and, and creating a bid. But he said, Facebook has a better grasp on that than you do. But there's one thing that we can't do better than you, which is creative. 
He said, the number one thing that you could do to be successful on our platform is be better at creative than anybody else. So 80% of your results are, are, are going to be based on the creative, okay? Um, and it's just a very small part of the ad, right? But it's everything. So, you know, when I, when I told you, like, I spent time helping people write books and interviewing people on my radio show, like, I was, I was essentially working my creative chops at that sure. time. I didn't know it. I didn't know it at all. I didn't know I was being prepared for that. But I, I became a really good Facebook advertiser because when I worked with a client, we spent time strategizing their story, right? And if we couldn't find a story, I wouldn't end up working with somebody. Or if, or if we did, they insisted we didn't have a good story. We didn't, we didn't have success together. It was the, the brands, the people that we could tell a better story where the where Facebook just becomes really really powerful. That's that's really powerful. I want to highlight a few things you said there. One of them is like obviously one of the most famous copywriting principles of all time, but enter the conversation that's already happening in your customer's head. So the more yeah. that you can create a narrative that somebody can fit into their current lifestyle that allows them to resonate with the product and the, the feeling behind it, the more yeah. that they're going to buy the product. So I love that. I love the being better at creative than anything else. And yeah. it's funny because I don't know if you can maybe comment on this, Bob, but like, I don't know why I was just blind to this, but it's really been over the past few years, I've realized like how intentional storytelling is. Because I think like from the mm. outside, if you're not a marketer, you hear a story and you're like, oh, that's a powerful story. And you're like, oh, that's nice. But you don't realize how much thought went into telling a story that way. So like as somebody that's worked with so many people to help craft a powerful story, I guess what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make in telling a story and what are some of the the best things that people can do to make sure that they have a story that's sticky, that resonates with people? So the number one thing is be authentic, right? Like people know when, people know when you're not telling a personal authentic story, hmm. right? You're, you're basically telling a third hand account of a story and that just simply doesn't work. Uh, the market will not, will, will not attach itself to that. Um, so what we do is when we work with clients and we're working on video or ad copy, it's we, we want to know your authentic story. Um, you know, one of the best things we do with the client is like, wh- why do you do what you do? What, what got you into the business? It's one of the best questions we ask clients. Uh, it's amazing the type of things you get. And sometimes you got to dig. Uh, we work with this client one time who uh, ran a, a whole group of yoga studios. And, you know, it, it took a while to kind of get down below the surface. And he was kind of a crotchety old guy for a yoga. <laughs> like, you, you don't meet many like uh, ornery or like, uh, here, here's what it was. He, he was. he was actually of the Jewish faith. So he wasn't like a new age Buddhist or anything like this. He was, he was, he was a Jewish man, a little bit older man. So he had, he had kind of an edge to him, but it kind of a, uh, there was a single moment where he let his guard down and, and he told us a story about his mom. And he said, you know what? He said, I can remember 10 years ago when my mom was very sick. Um, she ended up hurt. She ended up falling somewhere and she hurt her back and, um, she went to a surgeon who insisted they do surgery. And he said, I had this feeling like it was a bad idea, but my mom wanted to feel better. So, you know, I, I didn't protest. She, she had surgery and it failed. Uh, the surgeon actually botched the surgery and this is his words. I, I don't know what happened, but mm-hmm. essentially she became kind of paralyzed and, and it shortened her life drastically when she passed away you know, it really solidified things. And, and he told us this in a moment, he said, you know, the reason I got into yoga 
was because I, I knew that it would have been a better path for my mom. And I don't want others to go through what I went through and what my mom went through. And that's mm. why I started the yoga, the, the yoga studio. We're like, we just like, there it is. Cow. It's like, <laughs> boom, there it is. Right. Time stands still. So sometimes you've got to dig for the story, but, but think about that. As soon as you tell that story on camera and you like, if, if, if I'm a yoga person and I'm, I'm looking for a studio to go to, well, all these other studios are like, here's a discount. Here's this class here's this class. And here's this guy telling a story right. about how he wants to save people from unnecessary surgery and pain in their life. And he's got this passion behind it. He's going to win because he's got the most authentic story. Um, that's, I think that the greatest skill you could develop um, either for your own business or if you're helping others is to find the root of why somebody's in business and be able to tell that story to connect to the marketplace. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think the other skill set that goes with storytelling is asking better questions too, because it's like, if you weren't the person, if you, Bob, weren't the person behind that screen right. asking and probing when he was giving you the surface level responses, he, you would have never uncovered that powerful right. story. So maybe that's a lesson in and of itself for everybody that's listening is like, maybe if you're struggling with your story, can you work with somebody that can simply just ask you the dumb quote unquote questions? Yeah. Like, why did you do that? Or why did you do that? And just keep asking more and more. And then eventually that surf, that story that Bob was sharing yeah. an equivalent of that will surface yeah. for what you do. Well, like how long have you been doing the podcast, Brandon? Uh, this is, I mean, I launched it on 11, 11. So less, less than a, less than a month. <laughs> okay. But but you've been asking questions longer than you've been doing the podcast, right? Oh yeah, I'm 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 obsessed with questions. <laughs> okay, so it's 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 a skill that some people have kind of innately, but I think it's one of the skills you could develop. So, like I told you, I host a radio show for three years. I, I wasn't very good when I first started. Now, like you're way better than me, like already. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, uh, but here's what I'm saying: is that's a skill you could develop. It's not something where you have to be blessed with this artistic skill. Like my daughter can draw something that looks like it was a you know a snapshot on a on a great camera. Um, I can never do that. Um, it's not that type of skill. It's a it's it's a skill you could develop. Um, so even if you don't have your own podcast or, you know, maybe you should start your own podcast, but be good at asking questions and listening. Um, it's a really great skill. Um, remember I told you like most of the good things that's happened in my career is because of people that I've met and talked mm -hmm. to, you know, I took a risk of like turning to the person who's sitting next to me, introducing myself. That's a scary thing for a lot of people. But you know, when you get really good at asking questions and being a good listener, um, you're going to make connections with people. You're going to get good at that. And it's going to be a skill that's going to serve you. It's going to put money in your pocket. Um, it's going to create a, a lifestyle for you that you really want. Um, yeah. More so than, than learning Facebook itself, <laughs> right, is a skill of being just a really good connector and communicator. And that skill is going to transform you in so many areas of your career. It's, it's not even funny. Yeah. You can take that skill anywhere. And one of my favorite books on this topic that I guess really isn't a book you would consider to be on this topic is the book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. It's about uh, mm. negotiating. But like one of the things that he shares is who's winning in a negotiation. Is it the person that's talking or is it the person that's listening? We all yeah. know it's the person that's listening because they're getting all the ammo. They're getting all the. So if you're listening to this right now, the next time, you know, I guess a conference would be hard, but like the next time you're having a conversation with somebody, a good judge of 
of if you're winning in the quote unquote negotiation is who's doing the talking. Are you asking questions? Right. Like, like I, I love getting in a conversation with somebody where like, I don't, they don't know anything about me. I can talk with them for an entire hour and they'll like at 45 minutes in, they'll be like, so what do you do, Brandon? <laughs> and like, to me, that, that is, yeah. that is, that, that shows that like I was, you know, engaging them yep. and people's favorite subject is always about themselves. So in, incredible thing to practice. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a really good observation too. Um, you know, there's a level of humility to be able to keep your mouth shut for a time. Um, really, you know, it's really good in a selling situation. You think of like when you're trying to sell somebody, you know, what you think of as somebody, I'm going to convince you that my product or service is right for you. But the best salesmen I know are ones that are really good at kind of setting the hook and being quiet. And a person mm-hmm. ends up selling themselves. It's just a masterful art form um, that, that these people have to uh, do that. Ari Gelper is somebody that, that's coming to mind. He's an amazing sales trainer out of Australia. Kevin Nations is a, another friend of mine who's just really good at asking poignant questions and being quiet and listening and allowing a person to either talk themselves out of something or talk themselves into something. Um, so it's an amazing skill to have. Yeah. There's the, the Dan Sullivan question is like, if we were having this conversation three years from now, what would you have to have done professionally and personally to feel happy and satisfied with your progress? And mm. Dan Sullivan made some joke ones. Cause he's like, that's how I sell strategic coach. It's like, I asked that question. I let them talk yeah. for 30 minutes. And then I say, that's what strategic coach does. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. sweet. <laughs> yeah. <up>. <laughs> 100% brilliant guy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so let's, let's dive more into the, the nitty gritty of the Facebook stuff. So this is the stuff that uh, I know we've been kind of waiting to dig into. You got your <laughs> new book on Facebook advertising that, that came out, yeah. which is really exciting. Um, so I know one of the things that you're really, really well known for is this concept of deep funnel marketing. So for somebody that has no idea what that is, uh, can we just kind of explain what that is and why it's so powerful? Yeah, it's really, uh, and I've been developing this probably since about 2014 is when I first started to really understand Facebook advertising at a, at a deeper level, um, pun intended, I guess. Um, <laughs> there, there's a book called Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. It was written in 1966. Got it right here. There you I go. Mean, it's one of my favorites. So he talks about the customer awareness timeline in that book. And if, if you understand this concept as an advertiser, it's going to really be po- uh, powerful for you. Um, knowing where your customer is on their journey. Um, so he, he talks about somebody being unaware or problem aware or solution aware. Um, you need to be speaking to a prospect very differently from somebody who's unaware, meaning they have no idea that you exist. They have no idea they have a problem. And this is very much what a Facebook ad is, right? Facebook ads are not like a Google ad. A Google ad, uh, a traditional Google ad is, is driven based on the keyword search. So you absolutely know what's going on in the the person's mind when they type something into Google. Based on what they say, you can serve them an ad that that perfectly goes in line with the question they're typing into Google. You don't have that luxury on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're interrupting them. It's an interruption mechanism, right? So you need to be thinking differently at each stage. So when when somebody's unaware and you're interrupting them, um, your first job is really to get their attention, right? And to kind of give them a, a really quick, like, this is, this is why you need to listen to me, right? As they become aware of their own problem, let's say you introduce something that's kind of underneath the surface for them. They become problem aware. Um, you need to speak to them different, right? Because once you, at the unaware stage, you kind of, you need to make them aware of something that they lack. When they're at the problem aware stage, you need to, 
you need to let them know that there's a, a solution available for them, right? And so you start to nurture them and lead them closer. But once they believe that there's a solution available, they're looking out, they're looking at all the alternatives, okay? What you're doing at that stage is you're nurturing them to the to the part where they're very aware of your solution and then they're in the decision stage, okay? So this is done really through the power of the, the Facebook pixel. So if you think about this um, tactically, you see an ad on Facebook from a company that you've never seen before. Um, let's say it's a video ad and you, you click on it and you watch about 30 seconds of that video and you may visit the website, but most likely you kind of keep scrolling. Well, you just got pixeled, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Facebook knew that you watched that video for 30 seconds. Um, let's say it's a one minute video. Well, you can then run an ad on Facebook and retarget people that watched 50% of the video. Okay. So now all of a sudden I see a different ad and it's, it's basically kind of leaving off where the last thought was. Okay. So um, it starts to agitate a little bit more or it starts to present a solution and it makes you interested. So you click over and you go to a website and they're offering a, um, a free tool. Um, let's say it's kind of a software tool. Um, and they offer a free demo if you leave your email address. So, hey, I'm interested in that. Uh, I leave my email address, and I get the download, and I go back, and I, and I go away. Well, the next time I go into Facebook, I've moved further down the line, right? I, I'm now aware of this company's solution, and all of a sudden, they put an ad in front of me, and it says, hey, you know, we have a webinar tomorrow, on you know the top 10 ways to use this particular tool that that you downloaded well okay that's interesting i want to learn how to use this tool so i register for the webinar and and i view the webinar and they make an offer um, for this full-blown software package and okay maybe i'm going to think about it and i go away all right then i go back into facebook and all of a sudden i see an ad that says hey for 24 hours only we're offering 20 percent off this particular software package that was presented last night Okay, that's a pretty good deal. So I bounce back and I make the purchase. Okay, I just I just went from unaware to to your solution aware to becoming a customer. Now that might have happened over a day or two days or seven days or fourteen days. It it doesn't matter how long it takes. It, it's going to depend on your particular product. How long does somebody need from being completely unaware of you to completely aware of you mm-hmm. and to become a customer? So what I say with deep funnel marketing is most marketers underestimate the amount of time and effort it takes to invest in getting somebody from becoming a, from being a stranger to being a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very, very, very necessary, especially for people that sell complex or expensive products. Okay. It's a little bit, you don't need to go as deep if you're selling a commodity, if you're selling something that people don't particularly need to think about too much, right? Like a shaver or, you know, (laughs) some of those things. Right. Um, But if you're selling financial services, if you're selling real estate, if you're selling a $2,000 course, if you're selling a $50,000 coaching program, okay. You need to nurture somebody. You can't just introduce yourself and expect somebody to plop down money. Okay. You need to nurture somebody over time. And, you know, you really need to know as an advertiser, what are the signals that people let me, that they're letting me know that they're moving further and further down the funnel and then catering that content at the right time to the right audience to get the right action that you want. 
That's so powerful. So I, I want to highlight a bunch of things. First and foremost, I just want to highlight the fact that the first thing that Bob brought up was breakthrough advertising by Eugene Schwartz. So like the stuff that Bob is teaching, this is not, I mean, yes, it's tactical, but it's based on fundamental stuff. I don't, do you know when this book was written, Bob? I don't remember. I think 1966. Like a, yeah. 1966. So like for, for anybody listening that hasn't read breakthrough advertising, you know, read the first paragraph. The first paragraph is probably one of the most powerful paragraphs mm. that I've ever read in marketing. Just read it. It'll blow your mind from the very first paragraph. But so that's the first thing I wanted to say is that, that what Bob is teaching here is not, you know, screenshots of the Facebook advertising platform. It's understanding the principles and Facebook will change, but this stuff will not change. So like, that's really, really powerful. Um, I selfishly, I want to ask you some for, for a question, Bob. So like, as I'm thinking about growing this podcast, one of the things I want to do is to break up the videos into chunks. And I was going to do video view campaigns, uh, and leverage that to eventually build a Facebook group or to get downloads on the podcast. Is that something that you would suggest or is, would you suggest something different when it comes to warming up an audience? Cause I've heard a lot about doing a direct ad versus retargeting people that have consumed a certain percentage of a video view first. Yeah, there's a couple lessons embedded in what you're trying to do. So um, there's there's a couple things I want to go through. So the first thing is there there are people that watch and there are people that read. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I talk in the book about a video strategy to target people that are viewers and an article strategy to, to target people that are readers. Mm. All right. But both of it starts with content. What, what I like to say is, um, lead with content and let that filter and funnel your audience first. Okay. So I typically will encourage a client to run top of funnel ads. That's to cold traffic for, for, for basically calling out to your audience. Perry calls it racking the shotgun. It, it's essentially going like, I, I just want to know who's interested in this topic. All right. right? I want to know, I want to know who's interested in, in what I'm talking about. Um, because cold traffic is so expensive um, what I found is getting a video view and getting somebody to read an article is is probably the most efficient thing to do at top of funnel. Mm. Um, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build an audience. So I can pixel people that watch videos and I can pixel people that land on a website. So I, I'm building an asset, even though I'm not really asking for anything. I, I right. may not even ask for an email address uh, in that ad. What I'm doing is I'm just trying to gather a list of people that are interested what I do next, what I kind of call middle of funnel activity is, okay, to the people that watch my videos, okay, and I typically will, like, if, if it's a 30-second clip, um, let, let's use the 60-second clip kind of as a, as a marker. If I, can, if I can measure and target anybody that watched 45 seconds of a one-minute video, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're interested in what I have to say. Right. So I'm, I'm going to run ads to people that watch 75% or more of that video. And what I'm going to do then is I'm going to start to target down and say, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I've got, uh, you know, you've probably got some sort of download available, like, you know, that's targeted to, to your markets, targeted millennials who want to be seven figure entrepreneurs. Um, I'm going to probably only market that offer to people that have watched my video or perhaps landed on my blog at some point and read through an article. Um, so it's a great way to build an audience without asking them to really invest anything other than their time. Okay. Right. Now it's a strategy that requires a little bit of an investment. Okay. Now we want to make sure that overall that we are, that we are creating a positive return on ad spent. Okay. But I'll tell you this, like, Top of funnel advertising typically and most often will always be at a loss. 
meaning you might have to spend a dollar to make 25 cents at some point. However, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel is, is always going to be, if it's done right, it's always going to be multiples in terms of return on ad spend. Mm-hmm. So you're spending a dollar and making five. Um, you know, you're, you're spending a dollar and making 25. You know, it kind of depends on the price of your product. But when, when you're building a platform like you're doing, Brandon, what, what you're essentially doing is you're, you're building an audience, creating an audience of people that know you, like you, trust you. They're going to be spending time with you. When you have something of value to offer them, and, and hopefully it's sooner than later, right? Um, you have a way to monetize that audience. Um, you have a product to offer them. You, you offer some sort of coaching program. You do some sort of training, um, anything like that. Those are the people that you're going to market that program to. You're not going to run a cold traffic and try to sell uh, a $497 product or coaching program to people who don't know you. You're going to sell it to people that have been listening to your podcast and reading your articles and watching your videos right. for the last three months. Okay. That's, that's really what it's all about. So the, the people that have the ability to understand that marketing is an investment and they're willing to grow their platform, especially for somebody like you who's, going to, who's you know, an upcoming influencer, um, that's the way you're going to win. Uh, somebody else that tries to shortcut the process is not going to be successful, is going to run out of money, is going to end up by the wayside. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And I, I want to highlight a few things that I think were really critical that, that Bob just mentioned there. The first thing was something he mentioned a, a while back, but he's like, there are people that consume videos. There are people that consume, uh, you know, they, they prefer to read things. Right. I think it's a really important thing to think about just as a marketer in general is like, how can you create the least amount of friction possible yep. between the medium that somebody prefers to consume the content and where you're sending them to? Because I feel like some people will be like, oh, they watched a video. Let me, or they, they, let me, there, I'll take my blog readers and I'll go send them to a video. You know, it's like people prefer consuming content in certain ways. And yes. the more you understand and can tailor that specific experience to them, the more results you're going to get. And the other thing I wanted to mention that, that Bob said in passing that I think is so valuable too, is that the real money is in the back end. You know, it's so easy to focus on the front end, the, the, the cold traffic pushing to a, a $7 product or whatever, but like the real money is, is in the back end. So like when you're starting a business and that's my focus right now is what does the back end look like? Cause that's right. really where the, the focus is. And then going from the back down to the front instead of the other way around. So, yep. um, I mean, you can feel free to tear that apart or add anything to that bottom if you want, if you want to. <laughs> no, um, I, I like to build from the bottom up. In fact, like chapter three of the book is on retargeting. It's not on how to run your first ad to cold traffic. It's on setting up retargeting. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, the reason I do that is eventually you're going to set up a cold traffic ad and you're going to want to have retargeting in place, right? Right. So the first thing you want to do is get a, get your baseline established and and have a retargeting campaign set up. So for any traffic that comes in, they get into your deep funnel and you, you're, you nurture them and move them closer to the sale. Um, but I, I do like to start with offer with clients. Like, what's, what's, what's the end goal here? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we trying to do? And what's the offer? And let's start there. And that's going to lead into who we target and what story we're going to tell as we're building the ads. So yep. that's the absolute right way to start. Cool. Awesome. And just, just for people that are listening that may not be as familiar with the lingo, I always try to pause and un, unschmook some of the, the technical lingo. So back end and bottom of funnel is kind of more synonymous, just so in case we missed a few people there. So um, another thing I was going to ask was, you know, you see so many, you, you work with so many people in the Facebook ad space and like there's so many people that are saying so many different things. What are some bad pieces of advice that you are hearing people give that you disagree with that we maybe shouldn't listen to? Is there anything that comes to mind? 
Wow. Okay. Um, I got to think about that one. It, well, I, I don't know if people are specifically advising against this, but what I just said is absolutely start with retargeting first. Um, that any business can retarget. No, no matter if you're running a Facebook ad or not previous to this, you really want to start with that. Um, I think the other thing that I might caution people against is, is trying to spend too much time on targeting. Uh, mm. I, I, I have a level of trust in the AI in terms of building an audience. I, I kind of been able to see on the inside, like what Facebook knows. Facebook knows everything I do inside their platform. Like they know what I like, they know what I read, they know who I follow, but then they also know everything that happens outside the platform. Anywhere the pixels installed, they, they know my behavior. Mm-hmm. So a good example of this is, you know, I, I, I bought a new uh, driver the other day and, you know, I, I had been researching like, all right, which kind of driver do I want to get for golf? Well, you know, as soon as I started doing that, Facebook picked up on that signal and guess what I started seeing in my, in my newsfeed? I, not just ads for driver. I saw ads for local golf course. Mm-hmm. I saw ads for golf training lessons, right? So fa- Facebook knows a lot about me <laughs> and it knows my behavior, right? It knows what I buy. It knows what I don't like. So they're really good at targeting people that are likely to buy from you. And by the way, you know, as, as evil as Facebook may be in some instances, they do tend to help their advertisers find other people that want to spend money with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we don't have time to dig into, you know, some of those other issues and things like that. But right. for the for the most part, the way it works is that Facebook is really good at finding people that are likely to become buyers of you. So I, I like to use the, the lookalike audiences, which is essentially a model audience um, of, of people that are that are likely to do business with you again. Um, so, you know, one of the very first things we do with a client is if is they have any list of customers or any emails at all, we upload that as a, it's called a custom audience within Facebook. I go over this in the book. Um, we upload that audience and then we, we create a model. We create a lookalike off of that. Um, that's one of the very best ways to start attacking cold traffic is using a good model and using a lookalike audience. Yeah, it is so crazy the more you dive into it because you have to realize too, not only does Facebook know what you see, they also can make inferences based on the way that you're, you're using the mm. platform. So it's like, yep. if you're logging in at a certain time, when do people log into social media? It's when they're lonely, it's when they're bored. So it's like, yep. they understand when you're most susceptible to that to that right. kind of stuff. And like, I, I Jules, our, our mutual connection, who's also been on the podcast, she mentioned to me in passing once that she was talking to an engineer and they can tell if a purchase of a coaching program made a difference in your life. Cause it's like, if you invested in a coaching program supposedly to make more money, your spending habits are going to change. So they'll be able to tie that back into. So wow. there's, there's, there's some crazy stuff that that's in those algorithms and it's, it's kind of creepy to dive into, but long story short, what Bob is saying is that Facebook is good at targeting. So the more that you can leverage the AI and going back to what Bob said before, the more you can master the creative, don't screw with the, yep. the targeting as much because like they do that as, as, as really good, but focus on. Yeah. On spend, spend, spend 80% of your time developing creative that that's the most important thing that I could tell any Facebook advertiser. It, it's literally the way you're going to make or break any campaign. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know we're kind of running, running up on, on time here, Bob. So I really, really appreciate your time. So I have a few closing questions to ask just that I decided to toss in. Um, awesome. so any, any favorite tools that you're using right now, I'm always kind of a nerd for, you know, different software products like Mac stuff. So it could be, yeah. an app. is there any favorite tools that you're hooked on right now? 
Yeah, um, if you're doing any sort of like client management or complex projects, we're, we're loving monday.com. We've okay. been using that for a couple of years now. We shifted from Basecamp and well, we didn't, we didn't, Basecamp didn't really work for us. And uh, uh, we had another client that used Rike and didn't work for us at all. Uh, we hated both of those. But Monday we found to be really intuitive and it keeps us really productive on top of things. So I love Monday. Um, Another tool that uh, we use like every day, just really simple, is Zapier. Oh. So if you if you're using <laughs> like if you're connecting applications, my goodness, Zapier has just changed changes our lives in terms of connecting applications. Uh, we use that every day. Um, I would have said Zoom a year ago, like <laughs> but now it's not we, cool anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we regularly had used Zoom. We're you know we're a virtual company, so right. you know we we have connected via Zoom for years. Um, uh, but let me let's see one more tool. Um, I, I'm a Mac user. I, I use a product called Clean My Mac. I okay, I use you, one called I use one called Hazel. If I think it's what what, what okay. you use, but. I mean it just like keeps the junk off of it, and and it reminds you every few days, like, hey, it's time to clean up your Mac, and it just takes care of loose stuff. I I used to be a PC user and a laptop user. I'm, I've been a Mac user now for ten years, and I just will never look back. I, yeah, I, I'm. I have a Mac here in my studio. I've got a Mac over there on my workstation. You know, we got uh, everyone's got an iPhone. We've got multiple <laughs> iPads. Like, yeah, we're all in on Apple. Yeah, just to add to that, um, Hazel is my one of my favorite tool, or not? I wouldn't say one of my favorite. I'd say top ten. But like, um, just to add on to cleaning up, maybe is a tip that you can just steal right now, Bob. Like, it can search for certain kinds of files and just automatically organize them. So, like for example, I have a rotating screen background. So, like every ten seconds, my new a new photo will change. Mm-hmm. So, if I put, I, I set up Hazel so that if I put a picture on my desktop and it starts with BG dash for background, it, okay. it Hazel recognizes that and automatically puts it in the right folder and files it away. So you can set that up oh, for cool. if there's a folder where there's a bunch of trash that you know you need to get rid of anyways, you can say, okay, I'll recycle the trash every three days or something like that. Or for uh, me, screenshots. I had a ton of screenshots on my, <laughs> I, I take screenshots like crazy, but like, so it automatically deletes screenshots that I don't use or save because I'm not uh, going to use it. So anyways, that's just me nerding out. And oh, also, cool. Zapier, yeah, I'm a, I'll, I'll look that one up for sure. Yeah. Hazel's fun. And I, I probably will get up a, a, Zapier, a Zapier tattoo on my, my, my chest one day because <laughs> <laughs> I love Zapier so much. Actually, I, I don't have any tattoos, nor do I plan on having any tattoos, as, but, but I do love Zapier. Um, so last, last question I had that this is the first, you're the first guest I've ever asked this to, but I thought it'd be really interesting. Um, if you kind of had to start all over and all you had was what you knew now, your laptop, and a thousand dollars, what would you, what would that first week look like? Um, getting using, I would assume Facebook, but like what, what, what would that first week look like for you? If I had to, st- and would I be in the same market, Brandon? Y- yeah. Same, same market. Um, like I said, laptop, thousand dollars, internet connection, basic necessities taken care of. What, what, what are you going to do? Well, I would take $20 and go buy the ultimate guide to Facebook advertising. Nice, nice plug. Right. <laughs> and I would read that thing cover to cover. And what I would do is I would, I would go out and I would walk to several of the local businesses and, and offer my services to help them get more customers during, you know, like right now, you know, we're still in the pandemic. I would, I would offer them ways to get customers in. Um, and I would, I would do Facebook ads for them and then I would leverage that and, um, and, and move on from there. That's, I, I would go meet people. 
Um, I would network with people. I would find out what their needs are and absolutely find a way to solve them. Yeah. That's what I, I would do. I love, 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 love that answer for so many different ways. Number one, he, he didn't mess any time with trying to develop a product. He's just like, let me figure out the quickest way that I can have a conversation with someone. And that's another thing I've learned about Facebook ads. Not that I'm an expert by any means. I've dabbled with it, but it's like the more you can talk to your customers and get feedback, the better your creatives are going to be, the better your copy is going to be, the better your offers are going to be. So like that was, I just wanted to highlight what Bob immediately did is like, let me go just go talk to people, figure out what they want and create something. So yep. super, super valuable. Awesome, Bob. Well, last, last question is obviously we, we, we know about the, the, the Facebook advertising book, the ultimate guide to Facebook advertising, but where can people figure out, find out more about what you're working on, keep up to date with your work and all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I would want them to go to ultimatefb.com. So cool. um, obviously promotes the book. There's a link there to the book. Uh, but what I want to give you is 10 bonus interviews. I think you had watched even some of those mm-hmm. um, interviews with Brian Dice, Jeff Walker, Perry Marshall, Dennis Yu, some, some names that you know. And we talked about some things that probably you haven't heard these guys talk about before. Um, so I want to give that to people so that that's available on that site. And, you know, once you get on my email list, uh, I offer a lot of free training and I, I don't spam at all. I, I don't really push out a ton of email to bother you, but generally when I email, it's usually something of value and it's usually some sort of free training. Um, I, I do a lot of free training for entrepreneur.com and other places. And I just end up posting that on my site. So, cool. uh, if you really want to dive into Facebook, obviously get the book, um, there's resources for people that get the book and a, a ton of training. So like you have no excuse. Like if you really want to get good at Facebook, um, you just spend some time reading and spend a little time around me. I know you're going to get really, really good fast. Cool. Awesome. Well, that is at ultimatefb.com. So make sure to check that out. And like, like Bob said, I did watch those interviews and there's some great interviews on there. So make sure to grab that. And I lied. I have one more question for you. <laughs> uh, so if you could kind of like summarize, uh, you know, everything that you've, uh, not, not everything you learned, that's too daunting of a question. If you kind of put a bow on this and people can only take away one thing from this, this conversation, what would you want that to be? I, I think the thread that, that connects everything, um, what, what you heard is uh, I, I learned the skill of communicating with people, asking questions, listening well, and, and being able to um, turn, turn those conversations into opportunity and with clients, turn those conversations into stories that help make them money. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you heard him, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. So go check out ultimatefb.com. Find out more about Bob. And Bob, thank you so much for coming. This has been a blast. And I'm sure actually we're talking next week. So we'll talk soon. <laughs> awesome. Good to, good to be on, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Brandon here again. And I have a quick favor to ask before you head off. And that is if you are listening to my voice right now, and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week 
just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.